All views and opinions expressed in this podcast may lead to learning. All information provided is for educational and developmental purposes only and is not intended to be a substitute for a growth mindset. Before taking action, please consult your motivation. This is the Teacher Talking Time Podcast. The majority of research, let's say, is to discover how second languages are learned. And this is not necessarily about how to teach. So that's where I thought, oh, well, let's look at ourselves. Like, what do we think of teaching? Like, do we care at all? Mm, If we don't, you know, research is useless. Two things need to happen first. I think researchers need to come up with ways uh, that their findings are somewhat useful. Because when I talk to teachers and ask, you know, what can I do? They say activities, like give me activities. But in, in our research papers, we don't talk about activities. Earlier that I believe that researchers and teachers share a common goal, which mm-hmm. is second language learning of students, right? But not students' satisfaction with your class. The materials I see are like, oh, my students are going to enjoy this, which is good. Like this activity sounds fun. That's great, but that's not the goal of teaching, is it? This episode of Teacher Talking Time was created with support from Podbean. As you know, podcasts are a great way to get your message out or engage within a professional or creative community. We use Podbean to host our show, and it's super effective at doing everything you'd want. If you're a beginner or seasoned podcaster, Podbean's user-friendly interface can help you start, manage, distribute, and grow your show. If you're looking to start a podcast for either professional or personal reasons, Podbean is a powerful and inexpensive option. Learn Your English has a special link for our listeners who want to try out Podbean at no risk. Learn more about their features and get your first month free when you go to podbean.com slash l-y-e. Thanks for listening to us and for subscribing to Teacher Talking Time. Now, let's get back to the show. Hi, this is Yuki from Japan. You are listening to Teacher Talking Time, the Learn Your English podcast. Konnichiwa, Yuki desu. Learn Your English podcast, Teacher Talking Time, o kiki kudasai. All right, everyone, welcome to the Teacher Talking Time podcast. We're back here for our October episode with Dr. Masatoshi Sato, who is a professor in the Department of English at the Universidad Andres Bello in Chile. He apparently, basically, he currently teaches at pre-service and in-service English teachers in Chile. We're going to talk a little bit about that as well. Um, And according to him, his research agenda is to conduct theoretical and practical research so as to provide practitioners with evidence-based pedagogy. Um, He has conducted a lot of research, and some of his research papers include generating a roadmap for possible selves via a vision intervention. Um, Practicing is important, but how about its quality? Um, Do teachers care about research, which is something that we're going to be discussing in our podcast today, and also something on the topic of interaction mindsets, interactional behaviors, and language to development. Welcome to the podcast, Masatoshi. 
Thank you very much. I'm very uh, excited to be here, Leo and Mike. And uh, I usually don't have chance to uh, communicate my ideas with teachers and mm -hmm. talk about um, my research uh, with teachers. So I'm very um, appreciative of this opportunity and um, I look forward to chatting with you guys. Yeah, and, and I think that really that was the whole impetus be, behind inviting you is because when just reading your articles and just knowing a little bit about you, um, what we're passionate about is actually making this connection between what's being done by so quote unquote academics and disseminating that or, or, or providing a platform to actually get it out to a wider audience of practicing teachers. So, so this is huge for us because I think we, uh, we see eye to eye on a lot of things in terms of the role of research and its purpose and, and how it relates to practice. That's right. I, I think this is a great platform because you know, a lot of researchers are interested in uh, seeing teachers using their research, mm -hmm. but you know, that's not happening very much. And you know, this is a great platform in that also that, um, you know, like, because those are two different professions, right? And like those two professional communities are doing different things every day. And this kind of platform kind of, you know, bridges the gap between those two communities. So it's uh, what you guys are doing is great. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Um, and I think it was a conversation on Twitter that kind of prompted me to invite you to come on the podcast. I actually talked to uh, Dr. Marie Michelle, and she was also very adamant about having you come on the podcast and talk a little bit about your research. I remember reading one of your papers about a year ago when I was doing research for, for my, my podcast um, article that I put together for my thesis. Um, but before we jump and talk a little bit about research and, and all your papers, I wanted to tell you a little bit more about how you started your career. Like, did you start in the classroom and then you moved on to do research? And Mike likes talking about this idea of being bit by the travel bug. Like, can you tell yeah. us a little bit about? Well, what? well no, because for me, it's like, you know, when I was a, a, a young or novice teacher, um, you know, part of it, the, the reason I got into teaching was to kind of travel and see the world. So like, I kind of always go back to like this whole idea of being bit by the travel bug and that leading into my teaching career. And then also like in terms of research, it's almost as like, when I made the jump from being, a, a, as you said, a teacher into a researcher, it was like being bit by the research bug. So it's like, you know, what was your journey in mm -hmm. terms of from the classroom to a researcher to where you are now? Well, just like you said, Mike, uh, my primary reason for choosing this career was to travel for free, you know, <laughs> I guess I was, I was looking at my professor. Uh, supervisor when I was doing masters and PhD and like he was traveling everywhere in the world for free and according to his stories you know he doesn't do much when he's traveling right so it's like great I'm gonna be like that <laughs> that's a that's a personal like that's okay that's that's a joke but the, the reason uh, why I um, decided to become researcher goes back to uh, uh, in Japan uh, when I was learning English and it was like textbook, grammar translation methods, memorizing vocab, and, and like kind of doing mathematical translations from English to Japanese, Japanese to English. And 
you know, I still remember like my English teacher uh, gave me C or failing grade because of my translations were not like, you know, S-O-V, S-V-O, like kind of switching the verb and objects way wow. of translating and word by word and I failed the class. And <laughs> I was like, you know, like this is, this is not language, you know, like language is not like factual information, you know, mm -hmm. it's a way of communi communication. Mm -hmm. So that triggered me to think that something wrong, very wrong is going on with Japanese English education. And then I decided to um, go to the States to study about it. Mm. So first place I chose was um, um, New Mexico in the States. And then I did uh, uh, masters in TESOL there. Uh, and then I moved on to uh, McGill University in Montreal and I did another masters there. And then, and then I went back to Japan and I taught for three years. Uh, that was like, um, um, like language school, but like a school that has like a different professions, like, um, you know, designing or movie, like filming or like even like a fishing kind of, uh, school. And I was full-time teacher there teaching academic language. So I, I was, I was helping students, uh, to be ready for going to the States for their university studies. So that was, that was a school setting where I taught for three years. And then I started my PhD and that's, that's, what, that's how I became a researcher. And after getting a PhD in this area, what can you do, you know? Like being a researcher, like it's, that's the only way. Interesting. You said something about learning English in Japan and saying that there is a couple of things that were not really um, in line with how languages are actually learned. I think a question that I wanted to ask you is, has anything changed ever since in Japan? Well, it's difficult for me to say because I've been away for a long time and I hope things have changed. But uh, well, purely impressionistically speaking, it's, it's still the same. Mm -hmm. um, I, I hear stories about uh, Japanese English teachers being forced to teach English all of a sudden by the government when their own proficiency is not there to teach in English. Mm -hmm. And um, therefore, they go back to the way they were taught by their teachers, which goes back to maybe 20 years ago, right? So that's the typical. Um, um, pedagogical knowledge mm -hmm. which is the way you were taught yes so they they go back to that way often which is again grammar translation methods and so the government is enforcing a lot of new rules to schools and i believe from this year uh from grade four i think uh english has become a compulsory subject in japan so there's a lot of political changes going on mm. but I am not sure this uh, change has trickled down to the actual classroom where teachers are struggling. Hmm. I wanted to add something because I was taking some notes here because I wanted to follow up on this, but I, I think you have a very interesting point there. You've made an interesting point when you said that teachers, when they lack the proficiency, um, 
I think it's fair to say that teachers are still teaching rules, especially if they are, if they've learned that way um, explicitly, because that's how many of them learn the language. They eventually, those people who learn languages like that eventually become teachers, I find. But we know this, that most people learn languages without learning rules explicitly. So you said that you wanted to, you became a researcher because you still wanted to kind of, and you've, you've, you've played in both playgrounds, we should say here. Um, so would you say, would it be fair for us to assume that one of the main reasons, apart from the traveling part, which is not true, but to a certain <laughs> extent makes sense. <laughs> um, true. Yes. Would you say that to a certain extent, your, your motivation to, to become a researcher was to actually, as you said, help those teachers with their own practice? Well, um, so that's, that's, that's a good question because because research is not necessarily for solving problems, mm -hmm. right? So there, there is a lot of theoretical research that I value. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of research or the majority of research, let's say, is to discover how second languages are learned. And this is not necessarily about how to teach. Mm -hmm. um, so at the beginning, my motivation as a researcher or as a PhD student was to understand what's going on. Mm -hmm. And then after graduating, after getting my PhD, I've been doing this like professional researcher role um, for what, eight, nine years so far. And it's actually only recent have I started thinking about what am I doing? Like I, I spend a lot of time and energy on research. I spend a lot of time and energy for publishing. Mm -hmm. But who's going to read my papers? It's true. Researchers. So I've come to realize that I'm useless. Hmm. Whoa. So what I'm doing mm. daily is to contribute to research development. Yes, that's great. But there's no place for my original motivation um, in my research, which was to do something about English education or second language education. So that's, that's when I started thinking about, wait, maybe I should do something about it. It being the research pedagogy relationship. Like I'm doing this research, but I'm not making any difference in the real world. So instead of being you know, depressed, I decided to tackle it. <laughs> it's a more proactive way of dealing with right. it. Right, so I had two choices, you know. <laughs> being depressed yeah. or doing something about it. Right. Yeah. And uh, here, here at UBC, they, we, we call that uh, being a scholar practitioner, right? Where you're, you're kind of embodying both, right? You're, 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 you're in the role of a teacher, you're conducting the research, but you're trying to find where, where those two overlap. And I think, you know, 
I think this was brought up in one of your studies, and I think it's, it was the, the study, and I don't want to talk too much about the study because I know Leo wants to get to it later, but um, I think it was the one where you were interviewing the, the teachers and, and how they viewed research. And basically, unless you're able to kind of transfer mm. what's being done by the researchers into your classroom, then, then really it's, it's, it's kind of lost. Like you said, it's, it's just out there in space. It's, it's, it, it answers a question, but it doesn't transform practice or, or, or guide change, be it in Japan or, or wherever. And I think for me, like that's the big one, right? It's like, we, be, it, be it kind of this quasi-experimental research or just like, you know, case study research with like a small group of people and we're just writing narratives about our experience. It all comes down to like, how does it transfer to the person who's reading it and their teaching situation? And um, yeah, unless, I, you're, I, unless you're doing that for me, it doesn't feel rewarding, right? There's no juice there, I guess. Yeah, I, I think, you know, the, what researchers want or what defines researchers as successful researchers is publications, right? Mm, and publications right. from top journals, more precisely. That's right, yes, yeah. And you guys belong to universities, I believe, or no? I'm done. I'm done. Leo's taking a break. I'm, in, I'm independent. Okay. Never say that Come on. Now. So, so if you be, if you belong to if you are like second language teacher at the university, you may have access to those journal articles. But if you're a school teacher, you don't. So, like, no matter what you do as a successful researcher, teachers will not read your paper, right? Even if they read the paper, like look at those complicated statistics and you know, like a jargon, jargons and mm -hmm. you know all those things. What uh, you know, it, those things are not helpful for teachers to understand what they can do with with this specific piece of research. Yeah, right. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a great point. It's one you bring up in the same article. Is that you know access alone, right? Like, how does one access these? these articles and research that, that might be, I might be able to transfer to my classroom, but they're behind a paywall <laughs> that I can't access, right? And yeah. then, yeah, yeah, so it's, it's tough. And I think, again, that goes back to why we feel this, this medium is quite effective, that kind of linking. Mm, exactly, that, this is a great um, platform. But you can't put it on your annual renewal documents if you're going for tenure or, <laughs> or other things like that, right? The, the neoliberalization so, of education, right? Yeah. Like universities evaluate like what is called like outreach activities, you know, like are connecting to um, the real world kind of activities, but they, are, they don't care very much. At least as much as what you do as researchers, which is to publish. What are these real-world activities, according to them? I'm, I'm interested. I think, I think they're talking about um, like teacher workshops, going mm. to teacher-oriented conferences, um, um, like media exposure to like a newspaper or podcast like this, or... Mm -hmm. Um, maybe service work like BC, like here we have BC Teal, maybe Tesla Canada, things like that. Like 
being on the board of directors, I mean, or, or something like that. Or if it's outside a university, yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So in the community, I get what you're saying. Right? Mm-hmm. The professional. Yeah, professional. Yeah, professional. Like communicating with professional people instead huh. of uh, academics. Huh. Knowledge consumers, not creators. I think is the right. jargon, right? Yeah. <laughs> Well, to, just to jumping already into, since we're here it's already. It's so interesting, yeah. Yeah, we're talking about this research pedagogy link. And we, as, as a company, as, as, a, as a startup, grassroots, I would say, um, educational uh, company, we believe that there should be more interaction between uh, researchers and language teachers. But we know, and as you mentioned, uh, Masatoshi, teachers are busy. They can't afford to, they can't afford to access research. And a lot of teachers that I have worked with tell me that they read papers and they don't understand papers because they've never read a paper in their lives. Not to mention the fact that, as you said, Mike, a lot of this research more often than not lacks a lot of the, what teachers want. The, is there an activity that I can use in the classroom so I can evaluate or judge whether this is actually important or not? So we need more of this playing in the same playing ground. So you, Masatoshi, seem to be a very strong um, advocate for this research pedagogy link. Um, perhaps you could tell us more about why you think research is important for, for language educators. Why is this dialogue important in your view? Well, okay. So there are several reasons why I believe as a researcher, uh, the conversation or dialogue, I, I prefer, you can say like, you know, the research pedagogy di- uh, relationship nexus link or whatever, but I prefer the word dialogue because mm-hmm that depicts it's both ways mm-hmm. but yes. not uh, one way from researchers to teachers so let me use that word so the, the reason why i um uh i believe the research pedagogy dialogue is important is that i think first i believe that um teachers and researchers share a common goal which is to help students learn second language more efficiently and effectively. So I think we can start from there, mm-hmm. that we're looking at the same thing. And the research about uh, teaching practices thus far shows that most of teachers rely on their uh, intuitions and experiences. Mm-hmm which is called uh, um, pedagogical knowledge, right? So right. They, they, uh, they talk to their colleagues. Um, they, as I explained, like, a lot of teachers follow the ways in which they were taught by their previous teachers. Um, so this knowledge is the fundamental knowledge for teachers when they make, uh, when, when they make pedagogical decisions. From researchers' perspective, it's not like that because we start from theories. So there are theories about how second languages are learned. And then let's test out this specific uh, intervention and see if it works or not. Mm-hmm. And then we sometimes discover, oh, okay, this pedagogy works. So I think what researchers can do is to um, kind of give some options for teachers to try out. I think that's, that's the way we should start because I don't think it's helpful if researchers go to the classroom and observe teachers and say, no, you're doing everything wrong, right? Right. 
And it's true that a lot of researchers do not have teaching experiences. A lot of researchers do not know what's going on in the classroom. That's, that's a fact. Some researchers don't speak second languages at all. And talking about second language acquisition, you know? So I think the problem is, as I said, the goal is to help students. And sometimes teachers' intuitions are wrong. And researchers discover effective ways of teaching. Therefore, research can inform teachers of different options that they can try out. So that's direction from researchers to teachers. Mm -hmm. And now I'm more thinking about the other direction too. Because when we talk about research pedagogy, research practice dialogue, we always talk about how research can be used in the classroom, like how research can inform mm. uh, teaching or how knowledge can be mobilized in the real world. So the direction is always from research. But I think the other direction should be valued as much, which is from teachers, because teachers are the ones who know what's going on in the classroom. Teachers are the ones who actually struggle with students' learning, not researchers. So I believe if there is a way in which teachers' experiences are used in research, that would be great. So researchers can talk to teachers and say, you know, so what's, what's the problem? Tell me. And that can be a research question. I think it's, I think it's fascinating. And Leo and I have talked about this in, in private before, um, that I've always kind of, I was socialized into TESOL and through this kind of applied linguistics field. And now I'm in a program which is housed in education. And it's so interesting to hear you speak now because from an educational perspective, that's the way research should be done. It's actually based on pedagogical knowledge or what they call PPK, personal practical knowledge, because it should be this kind of bi-directional approach where you have the lived experience of the teacher kind of um, kind of in the classroom living and, and, and teaching the students and perhaps being informed or perhaps not being informed by research, but, but, but at, at some level, research is there for them to draw on should they need it. But a lot of it in education actually um, comes from this, what you said, this, this kind of experience of being in the classroom, surviving maybe, and just and finding your own comfort zone. And even like, um, uh, educational philosopher John Dewey talks a little bit about this. He's like, he's like, you can be a really good teacher and know nothing about research, however, or theory. However, you, it's best when you're a really good researcher and you have a little bit of theory or research to draw on because that gives you flexibility, right? Right. But, but really from an educational standpoint, it's always been about the teacher and their experience. I think that that's a kind of Difference, like where does applied linguistics fit in in the larger field of education 
or I should say, where does teaching English as an additional or second language fit in with the larger picture of education? And it's so interesting. I think you're really getting at it. That's what I got from that. You know? Well, I'm being practical as well because if a research objective starts from teachers' concerns, then the research is more likely. To be useful for teachers,、mm-hmm. right? There's a transferability there. Yeah, in that way, research becomes more useful, which is what we want. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not sure that's what researchers want, but you know, that's that's the problem we need to investigate. Like, what? Are, actually, I'm doing a project now, and、uh, we've collected、uh, survey data from 200 something. Researchers, and we are analyzing data now because previous research about the research pedagogy relationship is always about teachers. Like, let's see what teachers think. Let's see how teachers use、mm-hmm. research. And then I was like, well, if it's a dialogue, like, why do we focus on only one side?、Mm-hmm. Like, we need to. We need to. Understand the other side too to make sure that the conversation will happen. So that's where I thought, you know, like self-reflection is always tough, right? But I thought, well, let's look at ourselves. Like, what do we think of teaching? Like, do we care at all?、Mm, If we don't, of course, you know, research is useless.、Huh. It's also interesting because there's that third dimension too—the students, right? And I know that not to get off topic, but but you know, as a learner and as a teacher, and maybe just because we're teachers, we're more aware of this. But as a student of, say, learning Japanese, which I'm not great at, by the way,、um, but <laughs> but but you know, I, I do have this knowledge of how how languages are learned. I, I'm also a teacher, and I'm trying to teach languages. But as a student, right? So how do I bring all the knowledge together? And I, I just find that、uh, that yeah, you could actually expand that to be all three: you have the research perspective, the teacher perspective, and then the student perspective.、Mm. Uh, there's a great study、um, uh, that I read about English for academic purposes programs, and teachers think that students need academic writing.、Uh, theory says that through analyzing discourse analysis, you can socialize into an academic community. And and so on. You ask the students, and they say, "Well, I wish I had made more friends at university, but they never taught me that in my EAP program, right?" So so, and therefore, I wasn't able to make connections, and I wasn't able to, you know, go to the bar and maybe maybe meet another student who could get me a GT a, a TA ship with a right. So like, you know, how we kind of build our careers, right? And it's just funny because if you were to go by the research, you would think. This is how languages are learned at university. Teachers have a way of delivering a program, but students themselves don't want it. Don't even see it as a priority. <laughs> They actually want something else, right? So it's quite interesting. Yeah. yeah, I think I think it's important to consider students' experiences and perspectives too when we test out intervention, because what we do is to develop some sort of pedagogical intervention and bring it to the classroom and test it out, right? And talk about the effectiveness of the specific intervention, but we usually do ignore what students experience 
instead of what they learn. And I、mm. think their perceptions,、uh, their emotional reactions to a pedagogical intervention is important because if they don't like it,、uh, it's it's not going to be sustainable in the classroom. Like the teachers. Sees that oh okay students are not enjoying this with like they are not liking this pedagogy,、mm-hmm. and the teacher is gonna stop using it. So it's it's not sustainable. So in terms of sustainability of pedagogical interventions, I think that's where students' perceptions come into play.、Mm. Well, I was just I was thinking about what you guys were saying,、um, and I was talking to a group of teachers recently, and. The focus on a lot of, as Mike said, a lot of teacher training programs or teacher education programs seems to be a lot on the teaching. So we focus a lot on the teaching aspect and very little on on the learning.、Um, and I think this also has to do with the fact that I think there's there might be a connection, but please correct me if I'm wrong. But there might be a connection as to why teachers don't interact with research at all. And this is what we were talking about earlier in in the in the show here, but we didn't record this part. Is the guy Magigis, who who argues that teachers should not interact with research at all, and they should rely more on, as you said,、uh, their intuition, their experience. I think my question to you is, what do you think of this? What do you make of this? I I think that as as a teacher and as an independent researcher, I see problems with my own intuition. So. As a teacher, what what are the dangers for for language educators to rely solely on their experience and intuition? Well, okay, so I think the fact that we need to acknowledge is that language teachers are successful language learners. Like if you. If you're not good at lang- learning language, you wouldn't become language teacher. That's true. So, another fact is that individual differences affect language learning. So, like, I don't know, like for instance, for instance, I don't know, phonological memory. Let's say, like,、yeah. some people are better at storing memory longer, working memory, etc., etc. So, those things、uh, affect language learning, and those who Were really good at language learning.、Uh, some of them、uh, chose to become teachers, right? But when they become teachers, <laughs> their students are not like them. Some of、yes. them are, but most of them are not. They're not, you know, wanna be language teachers, right? <laughs> that's right. So that's where I think this、um, conflict. Conflict appears where the way they were taught, or where the way teachers learned the second language, may not be effective for their own students. Let's take a quick break. We'll be right back. Developing as a teacher isn't easy. It's even more challenging doing it solo. If you are looking to join a passionate community of teachers who love to learn, then the Learn Your English Teaching Membership can help. The Learn Your English Membership allows teachers to develop what they want when they want to, through monthly challenges, webinars, reflection tasks, 
and application to your individual teaching context, the membership brings like-minded people together from all around the world. If you love improving and taking risks in education, then join their growing community of teaching professionals today. Find out how at learnyourenglish.net backslash memberships. Hey out there, I'm Rocio from El Salvador. This is Teacher Talking Time, the Learn Your English podcast. Hola, soy Rocío de El Salvador. Estás escuchando Teacher Talking Time, el programa para que aprendas tu inglés. So that's where I think this um, conflict, conflict appears where the way they were taught or where the way teachers learned the second language may not be effective for their own students. They may not be motivated to learn the language that they are teaching as much as they used to be, teachers used to be, because they are you know, language people. But okay. their own students may not be, most likely not. Like most of the English class or second language classes are required, right? Like yeah. you, students just want to pass. Yeah. So in this kind of context, um, is where they need to consider what is effective, what is not. In addition to the way that they were taught, what they learned themselves. And that's where I think research can be useful because we try to find some generalizable findings, regardless of the students. So that's where teachers' intuitions and experience may not be effective. Hmm. Does that make sense? It does. I'm just thinking about that. It does, of... it does yeah. For, for me, I think it does. But then I also see, yeah, I also see how, for example, like, I know a lot of teachers who know the theory and know, the, know what the research says, and they have in, maybe informed practice but they're, they're not connecting with their students. And that's because they're not, you see what I'm saying? Like they're not able to, to connect what you said. Like, so they have a group of students who are forced to take an English class. They know that by teaching them in, um, they know by maybe using task-based language teaching, they can, they can drive language development, but it falls flat because they're not able to, to connect with their students on that fundamental level. And it's just because, I don't know, and I wonder if that's the practical knowledge, right? Like, that's so valuable. You can have all their theory and research in the world, but unless you have the ability to, to connect to the, the students, it's, it's all for nothing, right? I think that goes back to, I mean, we're going to talk about motivation later, but yeah, well, key, isn't it? Yeah. It is. And when it comes to that connection or click, right? Yeah. Um, like, let's say a teacher reads a research article and he says, oh, this is interesting. But he doesn't use the results in his classroom. And I think that happens a lot. Mm -hmm. And for that issue, I think two things need to happen first. I think researchers need to come up with the ways uh, that their findings are somewhat useful. 
Because when I talk to teachers, like, and ask, you know, what can I do? They say activities. Yes. Like, give me activities. But in, in our research papers, we don't talk about activities. Right. Right. Yeah. right? Mm. And the second thing I think should happen is that, like, we, we have some kind of um, translators of research to teaching. Like somebody who uh, make research useful. Mm. That can be program directors. That can be curriculum developers. I think those people need to digest research articles and make the findings useful or make the findings to activities. Activities yeah. based on research findings. Yeah, I think that's, yeah, I think that that's actually a great point. I'm just Leon, correct me if I'm wrong, just thinking back, like I think I maybe got a little bit of what uh, Masatoshi's talking about in the dip, but I think really it's it's very much in service, right? Like yeah. you don't get that in a pre-service class or a course. It's very much up to it's up to having that, as you said, the director or someone to take ownership over that mm. and do it. Um, I also think that, and, Mike and Masatoshi, I also think that teacher education doesn't really do a very good job in terms of encouraging teachers to read research and then find a way to design something. A lot of the times what I see teachers doing most often than not is subscribing to these um, websites that offer free, ready-made lesson plans. Where they do, again, and I'm not mm. saying that this is wrong, but like there is very little of the teacher's voice being added to the materials that they design. There is very little do-it-yourself type of approach to language education. A lot of what teachers are getting is coming from published materials that follow a very <laughs> linear PPP approach but very little where teachers are able to, for example, as I was reading your article, Masatoshi, I was already thinking about a bunch of activities because that's how my mind works because mm -hmm. I trained myself to be like that. And I think teachers need to be trained to think more like that. It's like, how can I extrapolate something that I've learned and turn that into some sort of activity in the classroom? I think that is sort of the, the gap that we need to try to bridge here because teachers are not being encouraged to design their own materials. And one thing that I wanted to add here, which you said is very true, you said the thing about program directors and curriculum designers. The other problem is this, a lot of institutions, they try to save money by hiring teachers who have absolutely no background with right. research and no experience with curriculum design to actually design the curriculum. And what we end up having is a list of worksheets being considered the curriculum for that course. So, I mean, there are a lot of, there are a lot of issues here. Mm -hmm, I agree. Yeah, and, uh, you know, those uh, um, textbooks, too. You know, they, they're still there, you know. And uh, <laughs> in the history, I don't understand that. Like, like I, I do know researchers are working with publishers to develop textbooks, but and I, I also know that some researchers are doing consulting works with uh, ministers of education in different countries. But it's just, you know, 
not the edge research is not there yeah yeah i don't see i don't see the 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 link between the research and what's being done in the classroom sometimes i see a lot of great activities but i'm like okay but what is the aim of this activity like how do you know they're going to learn it's again it's a lot of it comes from because i think a lot of the experience that teachers have with materials comes from textbooks so they think that textbooks are the way to design things and what we try to do as a company is we really try to encourage what mike says this idea of theory here's an example that we've designed why don't you now try to design your own based on your context so it has to be appropriate because what i designed for my language learners in canada may not be relevant for a chilean student at a university in chile hmm. so teachers have to be able to to localize in a way their materials and i, and I think it, it also goes back to the way we were socialized right like we're all coming to this field as people who gradually worked through some sort of language center or school went on to pursue higher education in the field um, but didn't come from say an educational background per se and i think that kind of goes back to what i was getting at earlier is that a lot of the frustrations we're experiencing is that the links be between how we learn languages and just how people learn in general um, haven't i don't know if they've been been made clearly enough right and that's the frustration because i think a lot of teachers this goes back to what you were saying leo mm. it's just a critical thinking activity yeah. right like a lot of teach i've been at conferences where they've watched a presentation and people have stormed out because they thought oh, this is I don't know what this has to do with my classroom, but it's up to you, as you said, Leo, it's up to you to, to make those connections and, and, and really like, well, how do we do that? Like what, what's been done in our field? I mean, a CELTA program, we don't really teach that. We don't learn that. Um, yeah. In the diploma, you get access to it. Masters bit. is mostly about writing, let's be yeah. honest. Um, so, so, and then if you pursue your PhD, it's, almost nothing about teaching it's all about research and, and how to become a better um uh you know just a better researcher in the field um so my point is that that it's hard for us to just expect teachers are going to be able to do this naturally yeah it really does come down to having the foresight in the staff room be it a program designer curriculum designer to to spend time with teachers and to really socialize them into their role as educators, not just people there to get through unit one of chapter one, <laughs> which is I think what you're getting at, Satoshi. Yeah. Well, I, I think I think you said something important there because um, I said earlier that I believe that researchers and teachers share a common goal, which mm -hmm. is second language learning of students, right? But not students satisfaction with your class mm, yes and the materials i see are like you know oh my students are going to enjoy this which is good like this activity sounds fun that's great that's it oh. that's it yeah. but so, yeah. that's not the goal of teaching is it no that, and that's it. For me, that's it. I think Leo and I have talked about this endlessly. 
Is that like, do they use the language? Do they yeah. communicate with the language? Like, do they are they exposed to the language? Like, those things are theories, right? And you have evidence of learning, right? right. Yeah. <laughs> you have evidence of learning after at the end of this, right? Yeah, and yeah. the teacher gets great um, evaluation from the students. Like uh, my teacher was awesome, but did they learn the language? That's the more 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 important question. Yeah, it's always this adding this element of fun to motivate students, which I think it's a good segue into your your paper that you, you you've published recently. Um, the, the roadmap, generating a roadmap. Um, I read the summary as well because I wanted to see how, how the summary related to, to the full article. Um, oh, that's another topic, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is related because that's what, uh, M, I mean, Oasis is trying to do. Right? You're like doing a great job. Don't get me wrong. summaries, mm -hmm. okay. Wait, you are or they are? Wait, who? they are. They are. They are I mean, because okay. really, yeah, yeah. you're the one who is writing the the summary, right? It depends. Some people okay. assign oh. their students to write summaries of their okay. own research, for example. Like there are some random cases where people submit summary of some research who is not related right. to the original researchers. But in my case, is yes. Oh, okay. uh, interesting. Well, I mean, before we jump into that, I wanted to say something. Masatoshi, how did you yeah. learn how to write academically? Did someone teach you or did you figure it out? I figured it out. Okay. Mike, how did you learn how to write academically? Did somebody <laughs> teach you? Yeah. Oh, I, yeah. Oh, I figured it out big time. <laughs> I, think, I think that's another thing that we, we focus too much in the classroom is there's too much emphasis on the teaching and very little emphasis on how actually people learn. And I would argue that the most successful people I have met in whatever field they are they have mastered the art of self-education. Why? Because in my opinion, and you can disagree with me, but I think self-education is by far the best and most fun kind of education. Why? Because you set the rules, you set the pace, it's your time, your interests. I mean, who can beat that? But we're not doing in the classroom. We're not doing that in the classroom. In the classroom is all about the teacher lecturing, the teacher being on the stage transferring knowledge and very little of the learners actually doing things with the language and i think that's the part where motivation comes into play uh, masatoshi because you said and i think you started your summary with that you said my students are not motivated and that's a problem that every <laughs> teacher i have teachers who give their students candy they have stars <laughs> there's all these Carrot yeah, and, yeah. and and stick types of yeah, yeah. yeah rewards and punishments in the classroom. I think my and I think my question to you then is, and I think you said this recently. I don't know if it was on Twitter, but you said, um, correct me if I'm wrong, Masatoshi. But you said motivation cannot be the cause of learning. I was wondering if you could expand on that. Sure. So uh, so just to go back to what we had we were talking about before. Mm. This is a type of research based on my communication with teachers. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Mm. Right. Um, I was not interested in motivation research. I was skeptical of it. Um, I didn't like it at all. But every time I communicate with teachers, 
like they say like my students are not motivated right like uh, they don't come to classes like they sleep in my classes you know they during group phones. work <laughs> yeah. yeah exactly yeah, cell phones yeah. and you know they they uh when, when i give communicative activities they do it in their first language mm. and you know just try to finish it and do something else etc cetera, etc cetera. so that was my motivation so I, that's right. this is kind of one of my trials to start with teachers concerns interesting mm. and so that's how i started and the reason why i said motivation cannot be the cause of learning is that you can be motivated and sit do nothing like just like my french learning for example you know, like i have all sorts of motivation for learning french here in montreal like my uh the youngest one is starting grade one now and you know his teacher called called me uh this morning actually mm. and and then i realized that she doesn't speak english at all right <clears throat> so i needed to give my phone to my wife and so I have this, what is called R2L2 self, which uh, is the social pressure, outside pressures, uh, which is a part of motivation. And, you know, I, I wish I, I would be fluent French speakers, communicate with uh, local people in Montreal too, which is ideal L2 mm -hmm. self. And yet I don't do anything. I don't have time. I'm just sitting here and being motivated mm. so motivation is not a cause right <laughs> sounds like my diet and workout routine yeah. exactly the same <laughs> exactly yeah. the same so the question yeah. is what connects motivation and learning mm. so a lot of research previous research like old research from 50s 60s largely correlational. So col let's collect data from people, hundreds and hundreds of people of their proficiency scores and motivation scores, and they're often positively correlated. Mm. That means the more motivated a person is, the higher proficiency this person tends to have. Okay. But that doesn't mean that motivation is the cause. Right. The, the, you know, the well-known phrase, correlation is not causation, right? Right. So that's one of the reasons I didn't like motivation research. Mm. Like it, doesn't, it didn't make sense to me. But I decided to do it because teachers are concerned. And then That's the free question. Yeah, and I think the framework you used was the second language motiva motivational self-system. You've already talked a little bit about this, like the ideal, mm -hmm. um, the ideal self, right? Could you just explain that? Because I don't know if our, our listeners would be familiar. Sure. So uh, the most used um, or most accepted framework of second language motivation is called second language motivational self-system, which was developed by uh, Zoltan Dernier. And uh, in his framework, there are three components in this framework. First, ideal L2 self. Second, uh, R2 L2 self. And third, L2 learning experience. So the first one is it's, it's fairly close to the concept of uh, integrated motivation. Mm 
but it's it's a wish and aspiration to become somebody who speaks the second language right or who uses the second language so it's related to the community where the language is spoken uh mm. media uh where the language is used etc cetera, etc cetera. basically i want to be like him or right. like her right. So okay. that's ideal L2 self. Mm -hmm. And okay. all to L2 self is about others, not the learners, like parents, society, uh, um, tell me that I need to learn English. Mm. And um, so th these are, all to L2 self is related to social pressures. Okay. Like I, it's like my partner telling me I ought to exercise more or... or exactly or, that. I, I, but, but from a language side of life, yeah. Yeah, okay. I mean, yeah, yeah but motivation uh, is from uh, um, like a core psychology research. So they do do those sure. kind of research too, like right. uh, exercise, motivation, etc. And the final one is, well, okay, let, let me add one more thing for uh, all to l to self, which is to pass tests, for example. Right. Okay. Right. So yeah. That's not necessarily you want to, you aspire to become somebody. Gotcha. Um, but so, you study yeah. language because you want to pass the course, you want right. to get better scores, you want to get a better job, those things. Mm. So, so the ideal L2 self then, correct me if I'm wrong, it's all about our hopes, about our aspirations, our wishes, in other words, our dreams. That's the kind of person that we, yes. we envision. Whereas the ought to L2 uh, self, it's the things that we, we ought to possess to avoid some sort of disappointment or, or as you Negative said, judgment, maybe. Yes, being judged by other people. Okay, but they're not connected in a way, are they? Well, they are connected, but okay. So I don't want to be judged by somebody negatively uh, is not all to L2 self. It's called feared L2 self. Okay. <laughs> so somebody you don't Sorry about want that. to. I'm the water. Yeah, yeah, sir. Scratch that. <laughs> Maybe we'll edit that out. So there's <laughs> another cycle. Like, this is what psychologists do, right? Like, sure, distribute right. questionnaires and come up with mm -hmm. new terms. Like so the ought to is coming from the inside, right? I Correct. really ought to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not external. Yeah, gotcha. Okay. Right. Yeah. The, the external would be the fear. That, that's the fear. Right. Like somebody that you want to avoid being. Okay. Yeah. Okay. okay. Sorry, I, I think, cut you off, Leo. No, it's okay. Because I, I was thinking that's probably related to a lot of Asian students, Mike. I was thinking about that, who are often motivated to perform well get good grades, mostly to fulfill some family obligation or because a lot of our students we've experienced is because they want to bring honor to their family name, to the family's name, I mean. Um, so they don't want to disappoint. They don't want to let their parents down. So that's kind of these, this um, fear. Interesting. I never, because I was familiar with the, the Dornier thing and I was actually, I did some digging, Masatoshi, before we talk about the L2 learning experience. A lot of this is rooted in uh, self-research in psychology. And there was a, a, a paper um, wrote, uh, written in the Journal of American Psychology, and it was called The Possible Selves, 1986. And it refers to this future-oriented aspect of our self-concept, describing our visions, 
of what we might become or what we would like to become and what we are afraid of becoming. And I think that's where the, the fear L2, fear L2 self. It's yes. interesting. I never thought about that. What kind of language speaker or language person you don't want to become. And what about the third component here, which is the L2 learning experience? What does it refer to? Well, so according to Dunier, it's basically about uh, your uh, current experiences of second language learning. And mm -hmm. like it, this includes uh, classroom right. learning. This includes interaction with uh, people on the streets. So, so this component interacts with second language motivation framework right. overall. Right. So just, just to respond to what you said about Asian context, so interesting thing is that the relationship between ideal L2 self and auto L2 self are different depending on learning context. Oh. Right. So just, just like you said, like in the Asian country, Confucian cultures, um, Confucius cultures, um, there's a lot of parental... Uh, duties and responsibilities that learners feel and that is reflected in all2l2 self whereas in other cultures like western cultures let's say it's much less so the correlation between ideal to self and all2l2 self differ depending on where the data is collected interesting what about in chile when you did this in chile it's it's pretty similar to asian context actually really interesting yeah mm -hmm. But there was a study uh, done by Judith Kormos um, that reported that uh, L2, L2 self changes over the years too. So what they did was to collect data from uh, primary, secondary, and university students. And mm -hmm. I remember correctly, I think what they found was um, L2 self increases over time because they become more um, aware of their responsibility um, for their parental support. So you were, I want to go back to the L2 learning experience because it's, it's basically concerning um, situation-specific motives related to the immediate learning environment. Mm -hmm. um, so there are many aspects of, of a classroom learning situation, as you said, um, the teacher, um, the curriculum, if they're using a textbook or not, the group of learners, and I think you talked about that, if you are in a group, if you are learning this language with a group of people who are actually disciplined and want to learn versus if you are with a group of people who just want to like party and they don't really want to learn. And they all seem to have a, a tremendous motivational impact on the learners. Like, how do you think, like what role or how do you think these, these um, learning situations, these aspects of classroom learning situations affect the L2 learning experience, both positively or negatively? Well, okay, so uh, the important thing is that it's not one thing, but it's part mm. of second language motivation, right? So if L2 learning experience is positive, then maybe all 2 L2 self decreases and ideal L2 self increases. That's uh, possible too. Okay. So it's a, it's a matter of relationships among those three components. Gotcha. Yeah, so one change affects a change in another component. Let's take a quick break. We'll be right back. You know, quality professional development is such an important part of the teaching industry, but it's surprisingly hard to come by. 
That's why I was so pleased to come across Learn Your English, a company providing online teacher education courses with a fresh perspective. My name is Erin, and I'm an English language teacher. After a decade in the classroom, I found myself teaching the same things in the same way. My learning seemed to have plateaued. I wanted to take charge of my learning, and I really like how the online Learn Your English courses don't prescribe anything. They motivate me to reflect on my teaching and propose tactics and ideas I hadn't considered. If you're a language teacher wanting to learn inside your busy schedule, I highly recommend their online courses on Thinkific. Head on over to lyenetwork.thinkific.com. That's lyenetwork.thinkific.com. Take control of your education. You won't regret it. Hello, my name is Victor. I'm from Hudskåna in Sweden. You're listening to Teacher Talking Time, the Learn Your English podcast. Hey, jag heter Victor. Jag kommer från Hudskåna i Sverige. Du lyssnar på Teacher Talking Time, din lärare i engelska podcast. So, if L2 learning experience is positive, then maybe auto L2 self decreases and ideal L2 self increases. That's oh, possible too. Okay. So it's a it's a matter of relationships among those three components. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. So one change affects a change in another component. Wow. So okay. So just to add, um, so Zoltan Dunier moved on. So he he's <laughs> not, not talking do- about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah it's not about motivation anymore. Okay. Yeah, no, <laughs> he's interested in motivation, and uh, but uh, he he adopted more like um, complexity, dynamic systems mm-hmm. theory perspective mm-hmm. these days. So right. basically, he's more like you know, you, learning is unpredictable, motivation is unpredictable, it changes constantly, minute by minute. Um, and now he's advocating this idea of. Um, um, directed motivational currents, Mm. DMCs. Um, Mm. So basically, students can be swept up to this currents, and that's where motivation causes learning, is is where he's going to now. He's he's, he's not talking about um, self-system very Mm. much these days, in the past few years. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Well, uh, I want to talk about the technique because I, I'm very interested because you, you call it here vi- vision intervention. But I think when I, when I read about this a while ago, I, it was more about visualization. And I've seen Wayne Rooney talking a lot about that. I've seen Michael Phelps and his coach talking a lot about visualization techniques. And Pepe Guardiola, the coach for Man City. He, he talks a lot about this visualization, like asking the players to, to imagine what they're capable of doing so they can feel confident before they get on the pitch. Um, and he said that he did that as a, as a player. Before going out, he would see the game up here. Michael Phelps does that too. He, 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 he visualizes the perfect race. He, he visualizes problems that he might encounter, obstacles, and he's already kind of wiring his brain when he's doing that. And as I did some more digging, Masatoshi, because I find I, I'm interested in visualization. It, it's a huge factor in improving, I would say, technical skills like martial arts, football. What did you find when you actually started using um, vi- like this activity, this visualization technique with students? W- w- what were some of the interesting things that you've noticed? Well, okay, so... So this is a study of a vision intervention, as you said, mm-hmm. and 
in terms of ideal L2 self or L2 uh, motivational self system, uh, ideal L2 self is what vision is, right? Because you envision somebody that you want to become in the future. Right. So the question is, you know, what kind of vision as a teacher you would create and help them sustain it? Mm-hmm. And, uh, but to me, the more important question was how vision can affect second language learning. Again, let me go back to my original uh, motivation of doing this research, which was that motivation cannot cause learning. Right. So I wanted to know that, like, whether vision intervention could lead to classroom behaviors that are related to second language learning. And this was new to my knowledge because previous studies basically asked students to um, rate their learning behaviors, which is called intended learning effort or motivated behaviors. But all this data has been collected via a questionnaire. So for instance, um, I want to take extra English English classes, and you agree or disagree, right? Right. Um, a participant agreeing with it doesn't mean that he's going to do it, right? Right. That's it. So there's this huge methodological issue, and uh, to me, in general psychology research, to be honest with you, because you know, like. Self-reports are problematic. <clears throat> mm-hmm. I agree. Um, like, you know, if I asked you, Mike, now, like, would you do exercise tomorrow? You would say yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah but you would. Yes. But tomorrow comes? <laughs> what? What? Don't judge. Come on now. Yeah. So instead of asking <laughs> you, what I did was to observe you, whether I want to actually you do it. And another important aspect of this study was to look at behaviors based on second language learning theories. Okay. Because students may be motivated and may stop sleeping in the class or may start raising their hands more, Mm -hmm. right? But raising a hand does not lead to single language learning. Right. It's a great thing for teachers, right? Looking at students raising their hands more, not sleeping, not, on, not being on cell phone. That's great. That's a great change. Yeah. But there's no evidence that not sleeping in the class, class leads to second language learning. Right. You could still be daydreaming, right? Yeah. Yeah, easily. Mm. So, <laughs> so what I wanted to see was what what they do uh, during communicative activities during second uh, during teacher centered communicative activities. Okay, and what I found was that students who were exposed to this vision intervention started to use the second language more, huh. which in case was English. So by using English more communicatively. In theory, they are better 
they are a better place to learn second language, to develop second language skills. Mm. No. And then in the control, it was, I believe there was something like those who didn't have that vision did not use it or went, went back to L1. And you thought that there were reasons for that might be because they were frustrated or they're right. Yeah. So just maybe I should recap like main point. I was going to so. say that. Let's yeah. talk about them. Yeah. <laughs> right. it's, it's fascinating. Right? Cause you guys Cause read right. it, but your yeah. listeners is, will have not so <laughs> um so that the participants were university efl learners and uh those were uh business major students so they were not motivated let's say they mm-hmm. they were taking english classes required english classes for the sake of passing the courses right right and then um so the vision that i uh, decided to pursue or help them create was a successful entrepreneur. Okay. How did you do that? How in, did in, you... English? in English? In English. In just... English. Yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah. So the reason that I chose business majors is, is related to the internationalization as well, because in Chile, like it's, it's, it's the time that a lot of corporates coming into Chile and, doing a lot of businesses and now regular business people uh, need to be able to communicate with uh, people from outside in English. Right. So there's urgent need, like really urgent in the past 10 years, I would say it's changed a lot. So students know that. Right. But they don't study. Right. So my thinking was, okay, so there's a great vision internationally successful entrepreneur right doing a lot of businesses in english so that was the vision i decided to help the students create and hold on in their mind during english classes Mm. and what i paid special attention to this vision was that this person the vision person right uh is a chilean too Right. It's not a random native speaker doing business. So this person was a Chilean person who who came up with this um uh bicycles that are difficult to be stolen. Like mm-hmm. there's some mechanics, I don't know. And the vision uh, the YouTube video what that I used in this intervention. Like he was talking about how he developed his business and how he communicated with American companies, um, those kinds of stuff, like uh, talking about his company in English. Right. So he spoke with a Spanish accent. The video was shot in Santiago, uh, the uh, Chile. So the participants of this study knew the location, every single of them. And this entrepreneur, was like 25 years old, pretty close to the age of the participants. And I did those things because vision needs to be something manageable and achievable. Mm-hmm. Right. Oh. Like you can, I can think about, I don't know, like a French person in France as my ideal L2 self. But that cannot be the vision because it's just too far. Yeah, it's way far-fetched. 
Right. Very little yeah. in common with you. It would be, so in your case, then, Masatoshi, it would be a, what would be your ideal to self speak in French then? <laughs> if you were to use one. Uh, like, um, immigrant to Montreal who has kids in French schools. How about that? <laughs> That's it. Yeah. And has no problem communicating with the teacher. Right, yeah. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah like a re yeah. reading the instructions from the school. And, yeah. you know, like I was trying to get uh, my son's school stuff ready. And I was reading the list and I was like, what is this? What is, what is this? But I think that's important because I remember reading this in the paper, Masatoshi. And I think, I think that was, I think you used the, perhaps the best way to not only create the vision, but also to strengthen the vision, to operationalize this vision, to keep it alive, because you are using not a native speaker of English, like uh, Bill Gates or another un successful entrepreneur. Right. You're using a Chilean, which relates, and it goes back to what Mike and I, we did a, a series of podcasts on a lot of the things that we've talked about in the podcast are related to what we're saying here. This idea that you need to have a very clear conception of what you want, this vivid, vision you need to have this confidence you need to be concentrated you need to have consistency you need to have commitment and a lot of this is related to this idea that you were talking about in terms of of having this vision prompt i think my question then would be what so so they they they've watched the video and you said you chose not to use um a native speaker of, of english because we know this it could demotivate the students um, so you chose someone with the same, the same location, as you said, Santiago, similar age, 25, same accent, and that would help them have a more um, clear, realistic, um, reachable L2 self. Yeah. And then what happened? You mean in terms of what they did in the classroom? Yeah. Yeah. Like right. you, you said, you were observing their behaviors. I'm interested in that. So, um, so what they did was... But what the intervention did was to use vision in in context because mm -hmm. previous so as you said like you 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 mentioned uh, about a lot of uh sport research uh michael phelps and uh those people and yes vision intervention is from that research it's exactly the mm -hmm. same thing but uh in this case i thought it was important to use vision in context as in uh, language use right because again it's about second language learning right it's not about being motivated, motivated. right yeah yes. so motivation leading to specific behaviors that are related to second language learning right so what i did was to uh come up with a whole bunch of communicative activities where they use english with that are related to the vision that i just explained so things like uh, business negotiation activities, meetings, meetings, mm -hmm. uh, CV, uh, um, interviews. Uh, so very task-based, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, you can say that. Uh, very task-based, but uh, the way vision is in, embedded into right. classroom right. communicative activities. Right. That's important. Yeah. Okay. To me, that was very important. Mm -hmm. And to me, that was new because previous research was more like, close your eyes, take a <laughs> deep breath, 
<laughs> and nice music behind and imagine this mm -hmm. kind of research and maybe they are they were motivated but what did they do they just closed yeah. their eyes mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so were they being reminded that that don't forget that you're 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 while you're doing this communicative task you should be thinking of yourself in this role i so. thought that was that was very important because vision can be can disappear easily okay so what I asked the teacher to do was to constantly remind them of the vision. Right. Like, this is what you want to be. Mm -hmm. And also, I asked the teacher to remind them of the importance of English for their vision. Because they can think about vision mm -hmm. without thinking about this person's English right. ability. Mm -hmm. yeah. You can separate those two, two things easily. Like successful entrepreneur and uh fluent english speaker mm. so the teacher reminded them of okay don't forget like english helped him <laughs> this guy right. in the video so you're kind of like trying to keep the the vision alive yes <laughs> in other words yeah like to remind them of their vision so they can keep going and i was actually reading i'm uh, reading dornier's research he talks a lot about this idea of counterbalancing the vision which right. is we do something we want to do it because we want to do it and not because because not doing this thing would actually lead to undesired results um so basically reminders of of the limitations of not knowing the second language did you use any of this counterbalancing the vision with yes with, uh, with the students yes so what what we did uh well the teacher and i uh did was to create another activity that gave uh the students a scenario where uh, lack of English proficiency blocked some Chilean uh, business people to uh, reach deal with American company, which was a real story. So uh, we, we looked for a news article, I think that was from New York Times, um, that talked about um, Chile, yeah, it was a Chilean supermarket company. Uh, trying to negotiate deal with Walmart. And there are so many obstacles specifically related to uh, language. Right. So students read that, and that's basically counterbalancing their vision. Like, it, this is a bad scenario that we right. don't want to follow. Therefore, let's do this instead. Interesting. Yeah. Wow. So just to add one more thing, so all those like Dunia's motivational theories and many motivational research researchers follow is what is called, I think you mentioned that, didn't you talk about Higgins? Um, so mm. self-discrepancy theory. Yes. So basically what it says is that knowing what you are now and knowing what you want to become and understanding this gap which is discrepancy, right? is a motivator. So you need to be able to assess what you are, where you are now in terms of mm -hmm. English skills, and you want to know what you want to become, like a reasonable level. Right. In different time periods. After this course, in two years, in five years, when I get the job, in 10 years, whatever. So this understanding this gap yeah. is the key 
for the vision to be successful, to, to be useful. Interesting. That, that, that is interesting. I know that in preparation for this, I was thinking of a task that, that I experienced. It was part of my, it was part of one of, one of the courses I did in my first year of my, my PhD program. And it was very much just that. It was the future, envision future self and then to kind of focus on the discrepancy. So sure, maybe I am a tenured professor at a university in, in, in Chile. Uh, what are those steps I need to do between year one of my PhD to that tenureship that I need to achieve? And I think that's, that's it's, it's fascinating. It was done as kind of a, as a, you know, just kind of experiential learning as technique, but I think it's, you know, Leo and I have talked about this with our student podcast. It's really important because without noticing the gap, it's impossible yeah. to set the goals you need to meet that larger objective, right? Yes. So as far as vision goes, like everybody has some sort of vision. Like you, you want to be something like it could be fuzzy, it could be vivid. But I think what the teacher can do is mm -hmm. to break down the goals. Right. And help students understand the gap or discrepancy that there is now. Okay, so this is what you want to be, and this is what you are now. And let's talk about in two weeks what you want to be. Let's talk about after this class. So this kind of thinking requires teachers. Yes. I was going to ask you that. Yeah. You kind of already answered my question. <laughs> and then, so just getting back to the results, because I think it's, it's, it's yeah. really fascinating. So what, was, what were the results? So after all of this and after the kind of mentorship between the teacher and, and whatnot, what did you find? Well, so, so there are two parts, right? So I, I measured their motivation too via questionnaire, traditional questionnaire. And also I measured the differences between before and after the intervention in terms of what they do during communicative activities. So there are two parts. And the first part is questionnaire. What I found was that students who were exposed to the vision intervention increased their ideal to self. That means they become able to envision uh, their future more vividly. Mm. Like they want to become somebody more strongly. Right. Yeah. And uh, interesting finding that I didn't expect was that students who were, expo who, who were not exposed to vision intervention, uh, the control group, they increased all to L to self. Mm. So that's social that, pressure. That's the one I, yeah, okay. That's the one I was right. So, so what they did, the control group students did, was I used pretty much the same teaching materials, but Chilean entrepreneur who succeeded in Chile. So there was no international English component right. in their vision. Okay. okay. So what happened, I suspect, is that control students, their vision was there, but English was not there. Mm -hmm. So when Therefore, they answered questionnaire about English learning motivation, they, be, they showed their frustration. Like, I want to be like this, but I don't know how to. 
Right. So that was reflected on the increase of all to L to self. Okay. That was my interpretation. Interesting. Well, I think Thank you. I think it makes a lot of sense. And I was Mike and I we were talking about the podcast that we've recorded for learners. And we truly believe, and I think that shows in the results of your of your study, Masatoshi, that having a very clear conception uh, of what you want, a very clear vision, a goal that is clearly imagined, and of course, breaking it down into manageable smaller pieces that can be attainable. I think, in, my, in our opinion, I think that's the first step towards a better L2 learning um, experience. You, you mentioned something, before we wrap this up, you mentioned something about the behaviors that are connected to L2 learning. Right. Perhaps you could talk a little bit about that. Before. Sure. So the previous much, uh, vision intervention studies did test motivational changes via questionnaires, just right. like I explained now. But the new thing about my study was to look at communication behaviors. Mm. And the results were that uh, students who were exposed to the intervention started to use English more. So I measured the number of turns and words. And during the communication with the teacher, they, they started to speak more, they started to take turns more. Whereas in the control group, what happened was that they started to use Spanish more. <laughs> right. So this is, I thought this was interesting because it's, they, they, they were motivated to become an entrepreneur. Because in this in these communicative activities, what what I used was, for example, um, um, uh, salary scales of business major students in Chile from different universities. So the teacher and students talked about this uh, infographic. Right. Um, so the control students wanted to talk about it too, because during the intervention period. Uh, they talked about Chilean entrepreneur, but they did not connect this topic to English use, therefore less English learning. So they used more Spanish and the pulse test than the pretest. And for the vision students, as far as the vision students go, they used more English, which is related to second language learning, language use. Right. Fascinating. Really interesting. Yeah. yeah. So what's next then? Like what would be, if this is true, what would happen next then? Like how can we, because I'm thinking about how can we extrapolate this into language programs, language, language teaching? Oh, uh, it, I think, okay, overall, I think two things are important. Uh, first, it's, it's kind of related to what you talked about in terms of pedagogical framework and let the local people localize them. Um, but I think vision needs to be adjusted to a specific group of learners. Mm, right. Uh, it can be age, right? Like you cannot use the same interest, vision. Yeah, yeah interests. Uh, Context. Proficiency. Yes, I was going to say that. Proficiency. Yeah, and culture. Like all those things need to be incorporated into the vision that the teacher uses. And also, 
what's the purpose of English or second language learning for your group of students, right? It could be, it could be pre-service English teachers. It could be, uh, I don't know, tour guys. It could be uh, nurses or it could be anything. But yeah. depending on those different objectives, vision needs to be adjusted as well. So the last thing you want to do is to just play YouTube video of random actor. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah, because it's not their vision. Like yeah. they're not gonna be Hollywood actor. I'll never forget. Just so we, before we move, we wrap this up. But I'll never forget this one, one Chinese student that I had, who basically used this very successful. I can't remember the actor, but he said, "Leo, I basically watched all the interviews with this very specific actor. I basically used him as my peer." He was almost like a peer model. So he's like, he basically speaks English like this Chinese actor who lives in Hollywood now and is very successful. But it goes to show that that one specific student that I've had did this whole vision intervention without knowing that this is actually a vision intervention. Yeah, it is. Yeah. yeah. Very interesting. Wow, Masatoshi, this was... Uh, can't believe we've been talking for over 90 minutes now. Oh, yeah. Wow. <laughs> I think the work that you're doing is, is fantastic. We wanted to thank you again for your time and we wanted to thank you for listening and, and uh, we'll hope to see you again in the next uh, podcast, which should be in November, eh? Yeah, any form. Thank you very much for listening and um, you know, contact me if you need anything from me. Mike, that was the end of another episode with our, with the lovely Masatoshi Sato. Oh, that was wonderful. What a nice yeah. person. Any key takeaways from you? From, from you? Oh, I, I mean, there's always so many. Um, I think I really enjoyed the, the whole conversation about um, researchers and just researching in yeah. general. And what I really loved was when he said it should be a bi-directional mm -hmm. dialogue right? Yes. I mean, researchers and teachers. I think that's it. And I think that that's the way, um, that's the way education is going, that knowledge is co-constructed, mm -hmm. that we are equal players in this. And I think that the next evolution of that is closing or bridging this gap between the, the scholarship and the classroom, mm -hmm. the researchers and the teacher. And I think going towards this idea of a scholar practitioner where we're all hopefully in the classroom and maybe we're not in the classroom but we're at least identifying that that what we do in one field impacts the other I, I love that that was for me that portion of the of the podcast um that was one thing i took away yeah no absolutely for me Many, many things, that being one of them. But I think this, I'm going to go back to our podcast. And I think we really need to use um, this vision intervention or visualization to really help our students have a much clearer vision, a very clear conception of, uh, of their future. And what it, in, help, them, help them understand what it takes to achieve that vision. And I think as, as Masatoshi said, it's knowing what's manageable, knowing what's achievable, and more importantly, using 
the right models, moving away from, from a native speaker model towards a successful L2 um, model in that specific language. In his case, it was a, a Chilean entrepreneur, and that would be more motivating because that's more realistic and more um, attainable for, for, for the learners. And, and I would argue, Leo, that it's actually, it's, it's, it's using the knowledge that the students bring to the table as well, right? Mm -hmm. Which again, goes back to this bi-directional classroom where we're co-constructing it. We want to use not only what we know about the situation, about this entrepreneur, but more importantly, what the students already know, because the more they know and the more knowledge they bring, the, you know, the greater development and growth, right? Mm -hmm. and, 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 and ownership, right? Yes, accountability. Yeah. Yeah. Accountability is extremely important. Well, thanks for uh, listening to this episode. Um, if you are a, a fan of the Teacher Talking Time podcast, do not forget to subscribe at your favorite podcatcher, Apple, Spotify, what have you. We are everywhere. Thanks again for listening and we'll see you next time. Thanks again, everyone. See you soon. You've been listening to Teacher Talking Time, brought to you by Learn Your English. Ready to take control of your education? You're in the right place. Teaching, professional development, learning. Expand your world with Learn Your English.